welcome to the midweek Wednesday time of prayer and devotion with Cross Lanes Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Seth, and I appreciate you joining with us, whether you're watching live or, or you listen a little bit later on. Uh, we have arrived in July. That's hard to believe, so happy July. It's July the 1st, and the summer is moving quickly, even though it's been such a strange year. Uh, things are moving right along. And we thank God for his grace and the ability to be able to have a time of prayer and devotion in this way. Uh, thank you for those of you who've been able to come back out in person for worship. Uh, many have not yet, uh, but have been staying with us online. And we're thankful for all the connections that we have and look forward to continuing to build that back up. So I'd ask you to pray for continued health for our people and also just for wisdom as we try to reopen different ministries and think through what's going to be best as we look toward the fall season. And uh, we thank God for uh, his hand on us during this time and for your faithfulness. We're going to be in the Psalms again this evening, but before I get into the scripture, I want to pray, and then after I pray, I'll introduce our psalm uh, for this evening. So let's pray together and ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Father, thank you for uh, a new month and a new opportunity in front of us to serve you. Uh, we come tonight to honor you and to lift up the name of Jesus. Uh, Lord, you are our hope. Uh, you are our supply, our promise, our provision, and your presence is with us all along the way, no matter what we're experiencing. And we thank you, Lord, for um, just your presence through the Holy Spirit and the encouragement that each of us have been provided through knowing you and, Lord, how you've seen us through these last months. Uh, we long to uh, be back to some normal gathering schedules, but in the meantime, uh, we want to be grateful and uh, mindful of the privilege you've given us to gather in this way. And I pray your blessings on our time tonight. I know there are a lot of needs represented among our church family and friends maybe that are watching and uh, Lord, I pray that they would know that you care and that you meet us at our point of need and you help us. And for that, we say thank you. We're grateful for your word. Uh, the Psalms give us uh, such good insight into life and to what the human experience is all about. And I pray that as we look tonight at Psalm 140, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and that uh, it would give us confidence in who you are uh, no matter the difficulty or the opposition spiritually that we might be facing. And I ask it all in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. For this time that we have together, I want to speak to you from Psalm 140 in a devotional entitled, uh, Find Your Confidence in God. During these summer months, we're focusing on a group of psalms. We started in Psalm 138. And then we began to move forward. We make it tonight to Psalm 140. Uh, the Psalms help us understand a lot about worship. They give us insight into who God is as well as who we are. And in Psalm 139, we looked at how the focus is on God's knowledge of his people. And we can confidently say, God knows me, and yet God is with me. And through it all, God has made me, and because of that, he has a distinct purpose for my life. 
And in light of this, the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 139 is, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, while I told you that Psalm 139 is one of the most popular psalms, many have written on it, countless numbers of sermons have been preached on it, we cannot say the same thing about Psalm 140. In fact, there's not a lot out there on it, and I think part of it is because it's a very raw presentation of spiritual warfare in the midst of human opposition. It's a fairly ugly picture of evil, and when we serve God, the things that we can come up against. But what shines through it in the midst of it all is the faithfulness of God, the sovereignty of God over our lives as we trust in Him, and it presents to us from the perspective of the psalmist a lament in a time of trouble. Uh, David had people who had a lot of evil in their hearts. They were slandering him. They were lying. They were endangering him. And he went to God for help. There's some lessons here for us that as faithful believers, we're often brought into direct contact with evil. And whether it be lies or slander or opposition, uh, all of that is as old as sin itself. It can even lead to outright persecution. And that's why we have to focus on God and find our confidence in Him. One of the more familiar passages in the New Testament that presents the depravity of man and the sinfulness of human beings is in Romans chapter 3. I won't read the passage right now, but if you'll go back and read beginning in verse 10 and go through verse 18, you'll see the Apostle Paul's presentation of humanity. And he says, there's none of us who are righteous, not even one of us. And it's interesting that he uses several psalms as he makes reference to that to make his point. So in Romans chapter 3, uh, Psalm 14 and Psalm 10 and Psalm 36, they all appear in one form or the other. And he's making reference to the depravity of man, uh, reminding us that through these psalms, we find every experience of life. So I begin reading tonight in Psalm 140 and verse 1. If you have a Bible, a copy of God's Word, I'd invite you to follow along with me. The Scripture says, Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their hearts. They continually gather together for war. They sharpen their tongues like a serpent. The poison of asps is under their lips. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have purposed to make my steps stumble. The proud have hidden a snare for me and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set traps for me. I said to the Lord, verse 6, You are my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. O God the Lord, the strength of my salvation. You have covered my head in the day of battle. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further his wicked scheme, lest they be exalted. As for the head of those who surround me, let the evil of their lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. 
Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits that they rise not up again. Let not a slanderer be established in the earth. Let evil hunt the violent man to overthrow him. And then verse 12. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name and the upright shall dwell in your presence. You'll notice in this psalm the word Selah and it's repeated several times. It's the first time that it appears since Psalm 89. There are a total of 40 psalms in which this word is used and they're not sure completely what it means but it indicates some type of pause it was intended either for a musical expression or for a thought and to meditate on it or maybe both um, and saying to us these matters are worthy of careful consideration and you'll see that at the break of each of the sections where it says Selah. Now, have you ever been the object of lies or maybe the focus of deceit or slander? Have you ever had your character called into question in life? Of course, we all have to one degree or the other. And we know that evil can discourage us. And if we're not careful, when we come up against that type of evil, it can really disillusion us with life. And it can make us a cynic if we're not careful. Stuart Briscoe said, Evil has many faces, but it only has one goal. And that goal is to thwart the purposes of God. Now, maybe you know what it's like to be in that situation. Um, but how do we respond? And how should we believe and pray when we're under stress so that we can find our confidence in God? First of all, I'd say to you that you need to recognize spiritual opposition. You need to recognize spiritual opposition. You'll note here the psalmist begins in verses 1 through 5 by recognizing the opposition. He doesn't minimize it. He doesn't make over it. He doesn't give excuses for it. He simply recognizes it and brings it to God. Notice the descriptors that he uses. He references evil men, violent men, people who plan evil things in their hearts. They have sharpened tongues like a serpent. The poison of asps is under their lips. They have wicked hands, and they are violent. Now, I'd like to tell you that the only place that you'll find people like this is in the world among people who are obviously and apparently lost. But unfortunately, there are also people at times within churches who profess to know the Lord and who don't, or who know the Lord but are in disobedience to Him and are guilty of some of these very things. And it's often in those circumstances from people who should be speaking words of encouragement and support and love, even in times of disagreement, that they come across in a far different way. It's a warning for us that we don't want to be those people. We don't want these descriptors to apply to us, and we want to be sure that we can identify it when it happens. Now, we know that we all experience evil from the world 
the flesh, and the devil. And Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 and 13 speaks of where that opposition comes from. Listen to what Paul writes. He said, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So ultimately, all opposition against God, even if it's in a human form or in human language or in human institutions, ultimately it's because of the evil that is behind it. It's the principalities and the powers that are the, that are the undercurrent, that are driving the whole thing as enemies against God. And sometimes those attacks are very evident, and sometimes we're not as aware as we should be. I'm reminded of the instance in Luke chapter 22 when we read, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. And then here's what Jesus said, But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So here's a beautiful thought from the scripture. The Lord Jesus Christ lives to make intercession for us as his disciples. And even when we're up against the most evil and most vile opposition that we could face, even if lies are told about our character, even if people misrepresent our intentions and our motivations, we know that God is with us and he's watching over us and if we're alert then we can fight against the opposition that comes upon us we have a God who is holy he's just and he's sovereign the Bible teaches that sin is in the world because of disobedience you remember where it all started Adam and Eve were made uh, by God for fellowship with him they were innocent in the perfection of the creation and the completion of the creation, but they were given the ability to choose good or evil. In other words, they had the ability to respond to the love of God and trust Him or to disobey Him. Well, you know the rest of the story. Here we are. They chose to disobey Him. Sin entered into the world, and we are sinners both by nature and by choice. And what we know is the fall of man brought consequences upon the world that have brought us to a place that even creation itself groans and cries out for renewal. Evil was neither created nor intended by God. It was there because of true freedom before the fall that there had to be freedom to choose something other than God's will but there also had to be consequences when the will of God was ignored. And those consequences are personal. Those consequences have an effect on the biblical community, on us physically, and also on us spiritually. So you better learn to recognize the opposition. And then if you're going to find your confidence in God, secondly, you need to take your crisis to God. Take your crisis to God. 
Now, from the recognition of verses 1 through 5, David is asking God for some specific things. He asks him for deliverance, verse 1. He says, deliver me. He asks God to keep him in verse 4, or for preservation. He says, keep me. And then he's asking for protection again in the second part of verse 4. I remember the old hymn uh, by Martin Luther, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I'm pretty sure if you're going to sing A Mighty Fortress is Our God, you need a big, powerful organ to be able to do it. But at any rate, the words are strong and powerful even in the lyrics. And here's what the song says in part. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. And then the song goes on to say this. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we trembled not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. You see, we have a God who is powerful over all. So we don't need to come against opposition with the weapons of the world. We don't need to, as they say, fight fire with fire. Uh, when we're reviled, we should follow the example of Jesus who reviled not, and we should entrust ourselves into the hands of God our Father who is trustworthy. Psalm 115 in verse 3 says, But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. So I want you to know tonight that God is able to help you when you face spiritual opposition. Now, if you keep up with the news, it's difficult not to get a little bit depressed about all that's going on in the world. Um, every day there's stories of human suffering and all sorts of problems. And I think we're living in a day that is very much as the time of the judges in the Old Testament. Uh, the book of Judges sketched one of the darkest periods in the history of Israel. You remember Joshua had led the people um, out of the wilderness and into the promised land. He was the great military leader, but he was also the one who followed Moses. And he, under his leadership, led them to conquer much of the land that God had promised through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then, of course, as I mentioned, Moses' leadership. But after Moses' death and after Joshua's death, uh, the Bible says that a generation arose that did not know the Lord nor what he had done for his people. Now, bear in mind, this was some 11 or 12 centuries before Jesus came to the earth, and yet God demonstrated that he can work in the darkest of times. And we find this uh, cycle of rebellion and repentance and restoration uh, six different times 
uh, in the judges. And these cycles are very evident where Israel would fall into sin and then God would bring an enemy, uh, bring opposition upon them, and then Israel would cry out to God, and then God would send a deliverer or a judge on their behalf, and then their situation would get better for a while, and then they go right back into the same problem again. Now, what does that tell me? Well, it tells me, above anything, God is incredibly patient, and God is incredibly merciful toward his people, and he leads us along. But Judges 21 and verse 25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. You remember Gideon in the context of those cycles of rebellion and repentance and restoration? Uh, In Gideon's day, Israel was being overrun by the Midianites. The Midianites were these nomadic people that lived primarily to the southeast of Israel. And it was a dark time spiritually and politically, but God was at work. Gideon mistakenly concluded that the Lord had abandoned them and had given them in and over to the hand of Midian. Um, And he lost hope for deliverance. And at one point in the scripture in Judges chapter 6, an angel comes to Gideon and tells him that God is going to deliver his people. And he said, I'll be with you, and you'll defeat the Midianites as one man. Now, old Gideon was still marked by doubt. He he wasn't buying uh, what was being sold. And when God wanted Gideon to bring an army to come against that enormous Midianite army, uh, Gideon raised up some 32,000 men. But God had other plans. And it was not until God had brought that army down to just 300 men that Gideon understood that he had to rely on God for the miracle and that God was going to bring him the victory. Now, here's the point. God will meet us at our point of need in the time of crisis, and he will be our deliverer. But the one expectation that God has for us in our spiritual lives is that we would trust in him. And if you're going to trust in him, that's going to change everything. And that takes me To the third point, if you're going to find your confidence in God, you've got to learn to trust in God. Notice he says here in verse 6, Lord, you are my God. In verse 7, he refers to God as the strength of his salvation. In verse 10 and 11, he offers up a prayer for victory over evil. And then verses 12 and 13 He says, I know that the Lord is going to maintain the cause of the afflicted, and he's going to bring justice for the poor. Now, I want to think just for a moment about this word justice that we find um, in these verses. Justice is a term that is used for what is right, or to state it more plainly, justice is something that is as it should be. Justice comes from God and God alone, and it is rooted and anchored in the holiness of God. We cannot understand justice unless we understand God's holiness, sin, redemption, and restoration. It's only within that framework that justice makes any sense at all. Sin is lawlessness. It's totally contrary to the character of God. 
God sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin, to forgive us of our sin, to secure our salvation. And I'd say to you that God's mercy and grace are not in spite of God's justice. They are because of God's justice. Jesus, as our substitute, demonstrated that the justice of God has not been violated, it has been satisfied. And that is part of the finished work of Christ on the cross. So in Christ, if we are followers of his, then we long for the justice of God to prevail upon the earth, and we have righteous indignation when we see injustice, because we understand that it is in opposition to God. Now, interestingly, the Bible has a good bit to say about injustice. Psalm 89 and verse 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Proverbs 20 and verse 23 says, The Lord detests differing weights and dishonest scales. Do not please him. You remember Isaiah lived in a time when Judah was struggling under the weight of injustice in their society. In Isaiah 59 and verse 14, it says, Justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. Now, what was the Lord's message to those people? It was quite simple. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. That was the message in Isaiah. And God told them specifically in Isaiah 58 and verse 6 to loose the chains of injustice. So I think this is particularly applicable to this hour that we find ourselves in culturally. There's a lot that's confusing politically and socially. There's a lot of things that are hard to understand. So how do we understand it? We always have to filter it back through the scripture. And our grid is the holiness of God, the justice of God, how that is satisfied through the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel. And then we communicate that gospel so that others would have hope in the justice and the grace and the mercy of God. And so that they too could experience that. And then we live it out. So let me say it this way. The only way to truly escape injustice is to first accept that God is perfectly just and we are sinfully unjust. We're, we're going through an interesting cultural experiment right now. We're being driven toward what I would refer to as a secular form of moralism minus the spirituality and if you take a secular form of moralism minus the spirituality, then it becomes based on the opinion of man and it's not rooted in the character of God. So any sense of biblical justice for the church has to stay anchored firmly in the holiness and the character of God in the finished work of Jesus Christ and then see the world through the lens of God's eternal justice. And then that'll lead us to do the right thing to defend those who can't defend themselves, to speak up for those who are oppressed, 
and to be the salt and the light in the world that God wants us to be. Jesus is completely just, and in him there's no injustice at all. God's the only one who can provide true justice. And the beauty of this is in the future, in the return of Christ, he's going to restore all things. All things are going to be made new. And he is going to execute perfect justice when he returns. And every person who is persecuted for the sake of righteousness can know that they have God on their side and that God is going to make all things right through his son. Now, verse 13 says, Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name, and the upright will dwell in your presence. Listen to this quote from G. Campbell Morgan. He said, Psalm 140 begins in great trouble and sorrow, but it ends in praise and triumph. If sorrow is a certainty, so also is the action of Jehovah. Sorrow and darkness come to all men, but only those who know God and are sure of him make suffering and the night occasions of triumphant psalmody. There's a future focus here that the righteous will give thanks to God and the upright will dwell in the presence of God. So I told you when I started tonight, this psalm is this raw presentation. It's like a gut punch related to the reality of evil in the world. But I think the simple message in all of this for us is we're in a sin-fallen world. Sometimes we're the problem, not the solution. And in the midst of that sin-fallen world, don't fix your eyes on the trouble. Fix your eyes on the deliverer. And if you'll get your eyes off of the trouble and take the trouble to the deliverer, he'll give you what you need in that moment. He'll see you through, and you can be faithful regardless of what it is that you experience. And that is the hope of Psalm 140. Let me pray with us, and we're going to conclude our time together tonight. God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you are a holy and just God, that you extend grace and mercy to all who believe in you, who trust in you. And I pray that as a church and as people who follow Jesus, that you would give us a clear understanding of the opposition that we face, that we would find our confidence in you knowing that you are able and that our trust in you would grow. So help us, Lord, not to be discouraged, but to be encouraged. Help us to have hope and in all things to glorify you with our lives and our words and the way that we interact with other people that in a way that Jesus would be well represented and we would be good ambassadors and i pray it all in his name amen amen that concludes our time together thank you again for joining us look forward to seeing some of you on sunday lord willing